Ariane Elfant, and this is Death the Podcast. Death is the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. So thrilled to have Dr. Rochelle Biondolillo on our show today. Dr. B, as many of her clients call her, is a veterinarian here in New Orleans. She is part of the excellent team at Britannia Veterinary Hospital. Dr. B is joining us on Death the Podcast to have a conversation on the subject of -of end-of-life care for pets. Welcome, Dr. B. Thanks, Arian. I am struck by the complications that could arise in providing the best care for a pet, while at the same time managing the wishes and feelings of the pet owner. How do you navigate this line between care for an animal and the feelings and opinions of the animal's owner? That's probably the toughest thing. Um, Everybody is different what they consider proper care for their pets. Um, And we all have a feeling of, you know, we would do everything we could every time, but even that's not always appropriate. You know, we have the tools and the ability to help and step in and try to fix everything that's wrong. But, you know, sometimes there's an adage we say, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the number one thing I try to focus everyone's attention on, the owner and my attention, is that little pet. How happy is that pet? We all like to talk about quality of life, and people will hear that a lot and think about that a lot. And we ask people to, to really try to look at that quality of life. Are they enjoying their life? And... Uh, People have varying opinions on what a pet means to them. It might be a companion, a family pet for the kids. It could be, and I I don't like when people say a child substitute because people love their animals and feel incredible responsibility for them and what their pets give back to them enriches their life. And I think saying it's a child substitute doesn't honor what a pet is to a person. Um, It sounds like... um, you know, they they should have had children. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so, and sometimes people's approach to care, um, it varies a lot. And we try to encourage people to just keep their pets as happy and comfortable as possible. But when it comes to end of life decisions, uh, how that pet feels is hard to know, but we try to guide folks to look at how involved their pets are in their life. Are they greeting the family members when they come home? Are they eating? Uh, Are they able to get up? Are they sleeping all the time? Um, And so we try to guide them to look at those things because those parents know, and I call them parents because you are, Mm -hmm. you know, a parent to to that pet who relies on you. Um, To look at those kind of things or maybe have an idea in your mind what what is that pet's favorite things to do and are they doing those things anymore and maybe have a little list in mind well before any decisions come up about when it might be time to say goodbye to your pet uh if the closer you get to that time the harder it becomes so it's good to kind of have a little list in your mind before it before it actually comes up or time to need that because it helps you be more objective is that like a conversation you have with people as a pet ages? I... 
Not necessarily, because sometimes that seems a little morbid. Yeah. Um, yeah. If they start talking about it, um, absolutely. But it usually, there comes a time in people's minds that they have an inkling that they're starting to think about it or just having questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time when pets are becoming seniors, um, we talk about what we can do for that quality of life well before there's any talk of um, when it might be time to say goodbye. Uh, if they have arthritis, if they have uh, kidney problems or heart problems. So people start to know that there might be some day when this subject will come up. But for the most part, we're talking about improving quality of life through treatment. And a lot of times um, finances come into it too when we start talking about these things. So then sometimes that's the first thing that brings up the question, when is it time? I, I would think that's got to be tough on you as the doctor when finances might be the reason that a person might make a certain decision as a, as opposed to if like finances were not were not an issue, they might make a different decision. Or is that just one of the factors you have to stay kind of neutral and objective about because that's really about the relationship between the owner and it comes up a lot because people love their pets and it it destroys them when it comes down to a financial decision I have a client who uh, had to make a decision to treat a cancer and tap into her retirement which is a big 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 decision and that emotional decision, um, you know, is it right or wrong, um, prolonging the life of a patient with cancer or having to make a decision to say goodbye pretty quickly because some of these are a very timely decision. You you, you don't want to rush a decision, but sometimes you kind of have to. And walking a person through, you know, the fact that you, you I need to give them permission. They're looking to me for permission that it's okay and it is okay because they're making the best decision that they can and they're carrying around so much guilt and all they're trying to do is the best thing that they can for their babies and all they feel is this guilt for having to make this decision and oftentimes I'll approach it in this manner that you know even if we had a million dollars does that mean you should necessarily take your baby through this chemo or this radiation and they try to look at it like that and and if they feel that it's just not right and I offer scenarios like um to a lot of people to them it's not ethically right making their babies go through extra treatments visiting the hospital more when they don't feel if they don't like the hospital Mm -hmm. asking them to go more to the hospital Mm -hmm. maybe that's not the right thing and a lot of times people start feeling like that's that's how I feel I feel like that would be hard on my pet to bring them to the hospital when they'd rather be at home and that kind of it makes them feel better, like they didn't think about it like that, and they're just thinking of their guilt about, I can't do this, or should I or shouldn't I continue with treatment for whatever they're going through? And if you start giving them other ways to think about their their situation, they can think, you know, from maybe the pet's point of view and take that decision off of them, but what would my pet want? Mm-hmm. And I try to, you know, guide that decision through what's right for your pet, and take a, take that guilt away if I can. As you're talking about this, I'm realizing that, like the complexity in, in all of this. I mean, there's a, the dynamic of whatever's going on with the animal. 
um, whatever's going on with the pet owner, and then bringing you into the equation and getting your your medical expertise about what's going on. But also, it sounds like really your psychological counsel um, and guidance. Yeah. And I'm wondering what kind of what kind of training did you get? Huh, that's a great question because um, I'm thinking about it. I don't think much, but I think veterinary medicine tends to attract people who just want to help. I mean, it's a profession of, you know, you go into it because you tend to be caring. And um, I, I think it just comes with, with doing it and, and maybe just the kind of person that veterinarians tend to be. Uh, mostly I remember from vet school just the medicine just the medicine Mm -hmm. you know but you're around so many caring professionals that if you don't have it to begin with you pick it up by osmosis and you meet so many people uh clients and and your your staff and and so many people that you meet it rubs off on you and you you just learn from I learn from my clients all the time and uh it's it's humbling. A lot of times you feel like, you know, you're the person with all the answers. And these clients kind of reel you back in and realize, you know, they're the ones who it's it's their decision to make. It's they, they have an approach, they have an opinion. And um, it's it's a team effort when you come to take care of their pet. It's they're the ones who have to carry out anything that you're asking them to do. So you have to make sure can they do it? Are you asking too much? Um, how much are they capable of uh, handling? And um, what's what's their their style or approach to to pet care and how they feel about that pet? So you, I mean, you really are making very individualized decisions. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not a one size. No. Fits all. Yeah, it, it's really individual, and that's actually the fun part of it because I'm um, finding out every time I walk into an appointment um, how we're going to make things. Uh, happen, how we're going to make things better for this family. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're also privy to what I imagine is like, for most people, one of the most vulnerable times um, making these decisions about about end of life um, for for their pets. And I'm wondering, well, I guess I have, I have, I have so many questions, but one is, for you, what has been one of the more memorable experience with experiences with regard to that? In other words, you're having this window into what's really a pretty private moment um, that you're a part of by virtue of what you do. And mm-hmm. is there an experience that's left an impression on you? I'm sure there are many. With my own cat, um, I had to make a decision. Um, he had a cancer and uh, when it was the right time. And so I was the client. Um Knowing what I know and looking for, you know, signs of um, suffering, um, I call back on my experience with my own cat the most to help clients with their pets because I have to remember what it feels like to be in those shoes. If you can't remember the struggle, if you can't feel or try to empathize, I mean, it's a lot more than sympathy. I, I really try to empathize what someone is going through to make decisions um you can't be helpful if you don't know the emotional struggle um and 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 be available to really listen and understand what what the decision making process is and what you know how hard it is so with my own cat um 
my promise is to prevent suffering. And I encourage people to try to choose a moment that is just before the suffering. And that's always hard. And no one ever wants to put a smiling face or a wagging tail to sleep. Mm -hmm. And they could be struggling to get off the floor, unable to go out to the bathroom, not eating well, but that tail wags and it's just impossible for people to make the decision. And because they see their pet is still mm -hmm. deriving engaged, still engaged, still having life. Uh No one, no one wants to take away life. In your mind, you know it's the right thing. In your mind, you can say, my pet is suffering. But it's your heart that has to make that decision, too. And if there's any ounce of life in that little body, it's really hard to make that decision. Um, some of the easiest times are when these animals look, um, I, I'm sorry to say, decrepit. You know, the, and, and it's very clear that there is suffering. And, and it's easier for the human mind to take away suffering once it's there, but not to prevent suffering before it happens. So with my own cat, um, I looked for certain things. Um, could he jump on that favorite sofa that he liked to, that his cancer was in his leg? So uh, could he squat and go to the litter box? And um, he was always, there was nothing wrong with his heart or his mind. He was going to have that that happy face, but... I had to pick a time when I thought suffering is just around the corner uh, and and let him go because my promise is, you know, I, I can't control everything, but I can control suffering. And I'm not going to make him wait for me to be ready. I want, I, I'm going to suffer no matter what today in a month, um, I'd rather suffer a little sooner than ever have him suffer one day if I can possibly tell that time. And that's the hard part, Mm -hmm. telling that time. And we'll, you know, I'm happy to meet with people or talk with them uh, once a week, touch base, whatever it takes at that moment. When is the right time? That's, That's the toughest part. Well, and I and I imagine giving people the reassurance that while there not might not be a, a right moment, I mean, perhaps your pet could have had two or three more days mm-hmm. before that mm-hmm. before quality of life would have diminished to a point where it would have been unbearable. Mm-hmm. But that that's probably not as important as what you're saying, which is putting the needs of the animal mm-hmm. first, which is so hard when you have a loving relationship yeah. and a companion. Mm-hmm. And But most people can't do it. And I have to be okay with that, too. Um, there's a lot of pets um, of families whose children are uh, at college and those kids grew up with this pet and they want to say goodbye and so you might see a pet who's already in that stage of suffering and and it's important to again put yourself in that family's shoes because um, I have to be the voice of the animal they don't have a voice so it's important for me through my experience with animals to know when to tell a family they are suffering or it's time, but that family has a member that they will never have that opportunity to say goodbye. How do you rectify that? Um, you um, Hospice care, um, there is such a thing as hospice care in animals. And if you can um, give pain medication, 
IV fluids sometimes are needed, um, hand feeding, comfortable beds, whatever it takes to get them to that point that if the family would like the opportunity to say goodbye um, and come home for a holiday, that happens a lot. Um, you want to give them that chance because, uh, you know, sometimes it might be easy to pass judgment, but then I think, uh, you know, if I put myself in those shoes, would I want that opportunity to say goodbye to my pet? Sure, everyone wants that. So um, you, you've you got to uh, be a problem solver and you've got to think of a way, um, how can I help this pet feel comfortable so his family can come and say goodbye? Because you've only got one chance. And speaking of like the only having one chance, which just makes me realize the, enor- the enormous amount of pressure that uh, that both you and the pet owner are under to kind of make this go, I guess, is to make a really uncomfortable situation go as well as it can, because mm-hmm. nothing's going to make it feel good or okay. I mean, that's part of part of the ending and the death. But do you experience um, people with, with regret for not doing it sooner or doing it too soon? It usually takes a while for people to look back on a pet they had and say, you know, I really waited too long. But in that moment, it doesn't feel like that at all. Um, I think everyone wants that extra day um, or that extra week. And uh, it takes time to pass to think about it in hindsight, to think I waited too long. or And even then, you know, people are just making the best decision they can with the information they have at hand. Um, we are not, you know, we don't have that crystal ball. And you're just making a day-by-day decision and I think as long as people reach out to their vet and let them know what's going on, um, trying to decide on your own can be a challenge. But if you have someone to help guide you through, I think it'll turn out the best that it could turn out. Uh, a lot of times people haven't reached out and um, maybe assume that nothing can be done and they wait um, Some people are very, very uncomfortable with the thought of being the one to decide to take a pet's life. And that's very morally wrong in their hearts. And and that's fine. Um, It can be very natural to let a pet pass on its own. And that's what people, you know, people have to do that too. Um, I, I do think that pets have it better because we can help them through the death process um, death, natural death is, is not always kind, but everyone would like for their pets to pass peacefully in their sleep. Unfortunately, um, it's only a tiny amount of pets or percentage that that happens to. Um, a lot of chronic illnesses, it tends to be, um, a bigger reason. And, uh, that, that body has to go through a lot before it's finally ready to, to let go naturally or on its own. And so it, it can take a long time and, and um, you know, of maybe not eating or not wanting to get up. Before, but but to be at home and to have that happen naturally is important to many people. And But, but what you're saying is that often will mean a lot of suffering that the animal will endure. That's, it's possible. It's hard to say. And, you know, that's... I don't think there's ever a right or wrong decision for people. You know, I would never, that's a hard thing to tell somebody. Um, I would love to help that pet pass as peacefully as possible. And the word euthanasia means beautiful death. That's, 
the meaning of the word. And so if I can help someone make that happen as beautifully as possible, that's our goal. Um, There are some folks who their dogs love going to the vet. (laughs) It's a place where they get treats or see their second family and they know us well. And we'll have owners bring their favorite treats and they'll snack along in and, and, and their final moments. And we try to give them, um, it's important to take them from that awake state to that resting state to the time when we take them through the process of asking their breaths and their hearts to stop. And there's a way to do that and we can give them little sedatives to make it peaceful and the process of euthanasia actually involves giving uh anesthetics you're just giving them more you know you're giving them an overdose of it mm-hmm. and if done properly it should be very peaceful and so during that process when they're relaxing we give them a fluffy bed and lots of treats and their family is there it can be a very precious moment. Um, And there are some pets who do not like coming to the vet. I mean, it's a scary place. It's not their home. And for those, most of us are are happy to go to the home and and be there where that pet is happiest or most comfortable and the family can be there. And so we'll do that too. I mean, that's got to mean so much to people. Um, I imagine not just to their pet, but to have to not have the um, to have a familiar environment for everybody where the pet has lived. Yeah, yeah. Many people, uh, many pets are much more comfortable at home, and they've got their their bed or you know their favorite room. Um, for a lot of people, that would be really difficult for them though, because they have to look at that spot and remember. So that can be. We offer both because Mm -hmm. that can be traumatic um so as long as people know that you know whatever they think is best for both their pets and for them um we we try to again it's a very individual thing What, what kinds of what kinds of things happen in these final moments um i guess i'm wondering do people are there people that opt not to be present when this is going on or do people have specific wishes around how it goes down? Yeah. um, It's, it's really difficult for a person to be able to see or touch or be with their pet that final time. Um, It's incredibly emotionally charged. Um, Many people um, would not like to have that be their last memory. They want to keep those memories of, their pets, you know, that it can be that lasting memory um, that kind of maybe supersedes other more special memories of their pet. So they'd prefer not to be there at that moment. Um, They could maybe be there until their pets are um, somewhat sedate and just relaxed. Um, Or sometimes um, they just say goodbye and leave before anything happens at all. So they have that memory of, you know, they don't want that clouding the memories that they have of their time with their pet. Um, Me personally, I I feel sad when the families um, don't stay for at least when their pets are more sleepy and no longer conscious that their family's there. 
And I don't want to say that and have anyone who's thinking about this decision and thinking about not staying, you know, influence them and feel like it's wrong. I just, I love when families are with their pet. Sometimes it's one person. Sometimes it's the children and the parents and the, the grandparents. And when I see that support group and that pet is surrounded by all that love, it's, it makes me feel better. I don't want someone's pet to just be with me who might be a stranger or you know that that makes me personally sad but that's just me because you know again for the pets that I've said goodbye to that memory is seared into my mind it's hard and so you always every time you think about it it's a direct tap to that emotion you felt that day I mean it's just sitting there it can be five years it can be 10 years and as soon as I think about that day I say goodbye tears Mm-hmm. You know, there's tears right now. Tears come to your mind. I mean, it's huge, that emotional link and everything it takes for you to get to that day. Uh, you, you never forget it. You never you never get over it. Going back to your last moments with, with your cat and, and what you were saying about, um, I mean, certainly you were so respectful uh, in honoring what it is, what it is, individual families and owners may need to do as far as saying goodbye. But um, I'm wondering, as you're talking about the experience for the owner of being able to say goodbye and how that stay, stays with you, what your thoughts are about what the animal might be experiencing in that moment and having having the people that have loved him or her around, or if you've thought about that. I think about what that pet is experiencing all the time. Um, Besides their health, to me, um, the mental well-being of a pet is, if if a pet was mentally distressed or suffering um, or afraid or frightened, to me, that's just as important. Um, When we have pets who are afraid at our veterinary hospital, we want to do everything we can to help with their emotional needs because it's it's terrible to think that a pet is um, distressed during any appointment or visit but much less at a moment like that because it's the that's the utmost important thing that day is to make sure that their final moments are um, stress-free I'm wondering for you like in in a day where you're seeing all kinds of things and presented with all sorts of problems um, with the animals that come to see you, how do you how do you manage transitioning from what we're talking about, like end of life care, having these conversations, and or euthanasia itself, and then how do you how do you go on with your day um, to the next the next client? Or that would be one question, but also how. How is that for you going home and integrating all of this into your life? I, it, it's hard. Um, sometimes you have to go from euthanizing a beloved pet that you've known for years and taking that pet from that family and um, go right into a puppy appointment. The most joyous time right from the saddest time. That's really hard. First of all, you, you need to get your composure because the last thing someone who's there for just a wellness visit or, you know, they're so excited about their new puppy. Um, that's not the right frame of mind to walk in, you know, red-eyed or, you know, you compose yourself. And um, each 
person's experience is, you know, such a treasure to them and, and an individual, you know, time for them um, to, to be their pets, the focus of attention. So you step away and compose yourself for a moment. But above all, I'm there to help pets, but I'm, I'm there to help the people. And my, my role is still the same. I need to comfort that pet. I need to console that person. And um, I, I, that is what I'm here on this earth to do. So, um, and oftentimes that is such a bonding experience that I will see that person again, or maybe I never will, but for that moment in time, that is my whole reason here on earth is to just make that as not all better because it, it won't be all better, but as peaceful and as peaceful as it can be, as, as good as it can be, because it's, you know, it's just tough all around. Mm-hmm. But if I can make it any better at all, then I feel okay about that. Well, it's very clear that anybody who is under your care is not alone in these moments uh, at all. Thank you so much for, for coming in and um, talking to us uh, today, our guest um, with Dr. Rochelle Biondalillo. She is an amazing veterinarian um, here in New Orleans at Protania Veterinary Hospital. Um, this was a, a really cool conversation to have with you about end-of-life care with pets. I appreciate um, being able to come and talk about it. I really do thank you. Thank you. The word death evokes all sorts of personal feelings, images, and stories. These stories are compelling, and sharing them connects us more fully to life. I'm Ariane Alfant, and you've been listening to Death the Podcast. Join us for our next episode in this series. This show is produced and engineered by Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Jill Gross. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, go to his website, davidmilling.com. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at deaththepodcast.com. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting. Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.